Now, if you've got your Bibles, uh, open them at uh, Mark 14, and let me read you just uh, just <clears throat> a brief passage. Uh, you know the story. It describes an event that is one of the, um, oh, I don't know, one of the heartbreaks of the New Testament. Let me read it to you. It starts in verse 26 of Mark 14. I'm going to read only through verse 31. Let me read that. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. We are still studying the the life of Peter. This is one of those highlights, I guess you would call it, in, in the life of Peter. I think, uh, of course, this is only the prediction that I read you. I think you know that before the night was over that Peter did indeed exactly what Jesus said that he would do. He denied it. Now, guys, um, the, the first thing that I would point out about this story is that all four of the gospel writers included, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have a, um, a version of what I just read plus the, uh, the culmination of the event when he ultimately denies Jesus Christ. All four of them write that. Now, guys, that's not the only thing that all four of the, the gospel writers include in their, their, their books. But there's only a few. A few events that all four gospel writers include. Now, now just, just think about that for a second. You've got four men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're writing books. And they're trying to figure out what, the, what they should include because there's, you know, there's three years of stuff that they could include. What should they include? And of course, if you know, if you read the four Gospels, you'll know that there's different things in all of them. Because they all had to make a decision. Ah, okay, I want to I want to get that in there. I don't want to forget that. Oh, I want to mention that. Oh, sure. Don't leave that out. And they all four concluded that you needed to hear about this. You needed to hear this story. Now, there were some stories that someone would say, well, you know, I'll pass on that one. But this one I want you to hear about. You've got to hear this. You've got to know about what Peter did and, and how it all resolved. You've got to know that. Now, in the mind of those four men who were used by God to write this book or write these, these four accounts of Jesus' life, they thought this was very important. Very important. wonder why. 
I, I don't know why. I mean, I, they don't tell me that, but, but I can guess. I guess they all knew that every generation of Christians would have those who were deniers. That every generation of, of believers would have those who did things that were so bad, so awful, so ugly, so so unmentionable that they would need to read a story like this because they would need, first of all, they would need the comfort that it brings, but hopefully they would also, or they would also, they would also heed the lessons that it contains. That they would also see it as a warning that is, those who would read about this story for centuries to come would read this story and would, and those who had done something similar to Peter would find the great comfort of, of, of this story. But the rest of us who have not yet, um, and I underscore yet, not yet, um, had this kind of emotion or this spiritual breakdown, that they would be warned. That they would heed the lesson that's contained in it. Now guys, this is a story about a Christian, Peter, who is broken, in, in the best sense of that word, broken by his sin. Now, before we finish this event, I'm, I'm going to spend three sermons on this, on this one event in the life of Peter. What you're going to see all over again, and, and it's, it's uh, several places in the scriptures, but what you're going to see all over again is how the Christian is supposed to deal with his moral blowouts. But but I, I'm sure you'll agree that this, this one, <laughs> Peter's, it's in a class all by itself. But for the rest of us, we've got our own blowouts. And um, there are lessons here that can help us learn how we might handle ours. When and if they occur. Now guys, um, to show you how this whole thing started, I want to read you Luke's account. It's, it's brief. Um, but, but I, you, you, you get a sense of, uh, something really going on here by reading Luke's, it's, it's not long. I, I wouldn't read you the long one, but it's only four verses, but I'm going to read you Luke's account. I read you Mark's. I want to read you Luke's account about this same story because he adds a very significant item that you need to know about, that you need to consider. Listen to me or listen to Luke tell the story. And see if you can't spot that that added new item. Uh, same story, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death, Jesus said. I tell you, Peter, 
the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times, deny three times that you know me. Did you see the new element? Did you see the new item that's in Luke's account that's not in Mark's? Oh, I bet you did. It's that thing in there about Satan has, has demanded, has demanded, guys, um, Satan demanded to have you, to sift you like wheat. It's as if what we're reading here is some kind of New Testament parallel to the book of Job. Remember that? Remember how Job starts off? You know, we all talk about, oh, we've just got a Job-like life. Guys, none of us have got a Job-like life. I'm just here to tell you, none of us. And so... Don't don't get lost in that stuff. You remember how the book opens? Satan appears before God and says, uh, you know, and God says, "Have you seen my servant Job?" And uh, and uh, he says, "Yeah, I've seen him, but I mean, the only reason he serves is because you're so damn dumb good to him." And so, um, so Satan goes out and does all that he does to Job. I, I think you know the story, but this is the only other time where you see something like this going on what what's what happens here at least according to jesus is that is uh, <laughs> this is i really can't explain it all to you guys but, but there's satan appears before god and demands peter to sift him like wheat and it appears that some kind of deal has been struck that satan demands and god says okay now, to explain all that, no, I cannot. But I can tell you a couple of things about it. First of all, you've got to understand that Satan can only do what God permits him to do. There's a chain around his neck. And if you'll follow the chain to the end, you'll find that the end of it is in the hand of God. That is, Satan goes, does, and what only what God permits him to do. He goes and demands, and God says yes or no. But on this occasion, he says yes. So... The first thing that you need to know is that that Satan only can do what he's allowed, permitted. But the other thing that I would that I would um, that I would point out, <laughs> you know, guys, um, I um, I fear that, or maybe not fear. I hope that Satan never goes and asks God to demand Jimmy Young. I wonder how that would go. I wonder, uh, Satan appears before God and says, I, I want to sift that Jimmy Young like, like wheat. I wonder what God would say to that. I, I bet you it would be something like this. No, Satan, I can't let you have him. Because Satan, he's not as strong as Peter. And the outcome would be worse than that of Peter's. No, you can't have him. Because he's not as spiritual nor as mature or as spiritually developed as Peter or Job. Guys, um, the events of this evening, I, I think I think you know what's going on. This is the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And um, they have just left the upper room. That is where that last meal was had. And, and um, all 11 of them, Judas is gone. 
there's 11 of them left, and all 11 of them are about to endure the great trauma of watching Jesus Christ die. But it's only Peter who will, who, whose life will implode. The others will run, but only Peter will do this. And yet we're told in the, in Luke's account that Peter will endure. And he will endure because of the prayers of his best friend, Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at next week. This intercession on the part of Jesus Christ. But while they're all in the upper room, Peter gets a, gets a punch to his solar plexus when Jesus tells him, tells Peter what's he, what he's about to do. So after this meal, they leave the room and they head for Gethsemane. All of them are dazed, but none more so than is Peter. The leader of the pack, Peter, is reeling. Why, uh, no one could ever make me do that. I mean... What is Jesus thinking? Saying, I'm going to go deny him three times. Why? Not me. Guys, a part of my job, probably the biggest part of my job, is that I get the privilege of, of teaching you from this book. People ask me when I'm, you know, what, what I do and, I mean, at a church this size. And basically, I get the privilege of teaching you this book. But, but I hope you realize that teaching is, is a whole lot more than the distribution of information. The goal of any good teacher is to see the student not only learn, but to see the student changed. I say that because in a very real sense, guys, the lessons of this story about Peter's denial, I really would just like to stop teaching you. Just forget the teaching. And I'd like to just pastor you. Forget the teaching. Let's not teach student stuff now. Let me just connect with you as one of the people who loves yourself. Guys, some of us have had the trajectory of our lives permanently altered because we did not listen. We did not heed. We did not learn from Peter's example. We, we skipped through this life like, I mean, rather Peter-like, thinking, I would never do that. <laughs> well guys, next to rejecting Jesus Christ 
and the eternal consequences of such a horrible decision. Next to that, the next worst decision that you can make is to ignore not just the story, but the lessons and the warnings contained within the story. Stated, I, I, I mean, the lesson I stated briefly is that it's nothing more, I guess, than a, than a warning against self-confidence. But the Apostle Paul says it, he puts it this way. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You guys, we're going to look at the details of this story, at least a few of the details of the story. But the goal is not for you to learn. The goal is that you can keep from falling. The, the, the first thing that I want you to see about the story, and, and, and it has to do with part of the lesson, of course. It has to do with Peter's sincerity. Guys, um, in, in Mark 14, 31, Peter says this. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. He meant every word of that. He was not pretending to love Jesus when he really didn't. What he affirmed there, he believed in his heart to be true. In simple language, Peter is being very sincere in that statement. But what then went wrong? Guys, there's a hint. I didn't read it, um, but it's right after in this Mark 14 passage. It's in Mark 14, 38. You know, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus goes off to pray, and he says, he says this in verse 38. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, guys, again, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation because the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. Guys, here's that spirit flesh thing again. We talked about it back in June in the previous series and when we were in Galatians 5. We talked about spirit and flesh. These are terms that the New Testament normally uses to describe us before we became a Christian and when we became a Christian. That is, before we became a Christian, they used the term, at least Paul uses it a lot, flesh. That's what we were, flesh. And then we became a Christian, we are spirit. That is, and then this battle begins between spirit and flesh. And so Jesus turns to Peter and John, James and John and says, listen, watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. Because the spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak. Watch out that you enter not into temptation. The problem is, oh, I know you're sincere. It's the flesh this week. 
You know, I said this to you several months back, maybe a year ago. There is this image in Genesis 4 about sin and temptation. In Genesis 4, God is, um, he's talking to Cain, you know, Cain who just killed Abel. And he uses this language. Cain. Cain. (coughs) Sin is crouching at your door. Guys, what kind of mental picture do you get when I say sin is crouching at your door? The, the image is that, I mean, God in Genesis 4 is likening sin to some kind of predatory animal. And, and, it's, a, and it's an animal that's lurking in the shadows. It doesn't announce um, its presence. It's kind of hiding itself. It's very subtle. And, and um, the, the image is that it's poised, poised to spring upon its prey. There's, there's no announcement that comes before it. It, it lurks. It, it, it's, it hides itself hoping that it'll find the, the right opportunity, the right set of circumstances to, to, to pounce upon its prey and devour its prey. Guys, um, you gotta know this. I hope you do. I think you do. I am a far more easy target when I fail to watch and pray. Let me put it like this. I am far more susceptible to temptation when I have failed. To watch and pray. Or when I've neglected my soul. And ladies and gentlemen. I cannot tell you of anything sadder for me as a pastor. Than the sadness of watching you neglect your soul. So you do it. Summertime is a is a big big season of soul neglect. And we we have some pretty good motives. We call it family togetherness. We're gonna spend our weekends family togetherness. And I say to you, my friend, you listen to me. The best thing that you can do for your family, your kids, your marriage, is to maintain some kind of spiritual vitality. You forfeit that for whatever reason, family togetherness. And you are a sitting duck. Sin is crouching at your door. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that soccer game or that baseball league 
It's not going to seem very meaningful while you're going through a divorce. All the skiing that you got in this summer is not going to be very meaningful when you find drugs in the bedroom of your child. Just got one of those yesterday, ladies and gentlemen, just yesterday. Guys, I said this six weeks ago, but, but listen to how the Apostle Paul says this. Listen to this. Well, before I read that, guys, the point I'm trying to make is that Peter's foolishness was this. His foolishness was That he thought just because he was sincere, that he is okay. That, that I'm just as strong spiritually as I am sincere. Or said it, said differently, that my sincerity is the measure of my strength. Oh, he meant all of this. You know, guys, um, I can, I can stand up here this morning and I can say to you, I love my wife. I love my wife and, and I always want to be faithful to her. And, and I think you know, I mean that. But what that doesn't mean is that I can never be unfaithful to her. My sincerity is no gauge of my spiritual strength. You're seated here this morning and you say, not me. No, I would never do that. And you mean it. Just like Peter meant it. Guys, listen to this. This is Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Do you believe that? What do you think this is? Do you think this is a piece of prose? An AM, a piece of spiritual rhetoric? No, ladies and gentlemen, he says, I know that nothing good dwells in my flesh. I have the desire to do what's right. Listen. But I do not have the ability to pull off my desires. But you do. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, spiritually healthy people talk like this. They talk like this, what Paul just said. 
This is a vital spiritual principle. Let me read it again. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Spiritually healthy people, they know that there's nothing good, nothing good that dwells in their flesh. Guys, it was um, it was not in being convinced of his own sincerity that people that Peter erred. His error came when he was convinced that his sincerity was the measure of his spiritual strength. His heart was right. And yours probably is too. But that is not going to keep you from a spiritual blowout. Guys, um, the problem that all of us have is not out there. It's in here. That's where the problem is. Um, But Peter forgot this other element in his nature, apparently, this flesh thing that we've talked about. It's the same flesh in Peter that's in me, that's in you, that's in us. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 4. He talks about this battle that goes on between the old man and new man and all that business. And... um, the language that I like to use, I, I, I talk often about the ravages of the fall. That is that we're far more wicked than we ever dreamed. And sin is far more dangerous than we really think. And notice how Peter's foolishness all shows up. It shows up in language like this. <laughs> I would never do that. You ever said that? Kind of shocked the fact that that you ever got a divorce? Kind of overcome by the fact that, oh, I got into an affair and it was so fast. Because I would never do something like that. And and interestingly, in in the Mark 14 passage, he contradicts Jesus. Jesus quotes a verse of scripture from Zechariah 13 about the sheep being, uh, the the sheep scattering after the shepherd is is arrested. And he says, Jesus, that doesn't apply to me. No, 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 no. Now, it might apply to them. But it doesn't apply to me. Not me. Um, all those other fellas, I am, I'm sure they might do something like that. But not me. Do I have to tell you the number of times that I've heard that? Do I have to tell you the number of 
blowouts I listen to. When sincere people neglect their souls and find out that there was a, a predator crouching at their door. Guys, when I, when I get to the place where I think that I'm better than the rest of them and that I'm stronger than the rest of you, then the, uh, you can go to the bank on this. You're going to be humbled. Jesus promises us. It's not just a principle that he states. He promises that if I exalt myself, I will be humbled. None of us, none of us are as spiritually mature as we think we are. Left to ourselves, left to ourselves, my friends, we tend towards high-mindedness, which does nothing but but get us into more trouble and put us in more danger. Guys, left to myself. I could be in an affair within 48 hours. Less than that if I've neglected my soul. And, and I, I, uh, I'll tell you this too. This is not another piece of good news, but prosperity allows us to, um, to lose touch with that truth. Prosperity inebriates. It, it convinces us that we're stronger, we're better, we're safer, safer than we really are. It prompts us to say stuff like this. Oh, I would never do that. They might, but not me. Because I'm special. I mean, look at the car that I drive. Look at the home that I own. Look at these clothes that I wear. Proof that I'm not like them. And then God in his blessed kindness steps in and humbles us. Not because he hates us, but because he will not allow us to waste our lives on the trivial Now, guys, let me close. I want to close with three pleas. Now, this is not P-L-E-A-S-E. Or, yeah. Uh, not please do this. It's plea. P-L-E-A. Three of them. But when you got three of them, they're pleas. So I, I, I just want to close. Not with lessons. Not with applications. Just three pleas. First of all, you are never far from danger, spiritually. Given the right set of circumstances, guys, we'll all find ourselves, find ourselves in a mess. Um, it's closer than you think. In fact, it's crouching at your door. Second, our safety is in our knowledge of our weakness. Guys, um, 
I guess it is possible to go too far with that. That is, that I, I go too far thinking that I'm so, so very weak. <clears throat> but it seems to me that I'm dealing with a crowd that doesn't make that mistake. When I'm in India in February, maybe I will change my tune and say, you know, they can go too far thinking that they're too weak. But over here, the mistake of choice here is not that we go too far thinking that we're too weak. The mistake we make is thinking that we're too strong. Our safety is in our knowledge of our weakness. And then finally, both of those, that is, um, is that we're, that danger is closer than we think and that we're weaker than we think. Number three, both of those should send us clamoring to lay hold of Jesus Christ all over again. You know, there's, um, I love the Psalms. I think I've said that to you before, but one of the, one of the statements in the Psalms is we sing a song that's from uh, Psalm 62 verse one. And the Psalmist cries out, lead me to a rock that is higher than I am. (laughs) Lead me someplace where there's some strength. Lead me someplace where there's some stability. Lead me to a rock. And that rock is higher than I am. There's only one of those, ladies and gentlemen. There's only one. Jesus Christ. If you run to him, then run back. Again and again and again. Guys, you may not like the way that I have described you today. um, But when it comes down to our description of ourselves and the Bible's description of us, I'm going to take the Bible every time. But do know this. No one loves you more than the one who tells you the most truth about yourself. And I'm not talking about me. Oh, I love you. But I don't love you like he loves you. And he has warned us. God forbid that any of us would ever have to taste what Peter tasted. Our Father, I I do pray that you will use Peter's example to warn us, that you would remind us that there are certain things that are true and there are certain things that are false and it's falsehood that gets us in trouble. Father, if you've led people here this morning who have not yet met Jesus Christ, who still wonder how it is that some, that, that sin like mine can be forgiven, would you, 
Would you, ex- would you reveal Jesus Christ to them in all of his beauty? Would all of us, would you allow all of us to leave here this morning far more desperate for Jesus Christ, far more longing for closeness in our walk with Jesus Christ? Would you do that, Father? And then get glory from the way you see us live out our lives. We ask it all, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.